Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Troy, 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 get your get your fat ass off that kitchen floor, put away the Tupperware, throw that turkey and them green beans away, and get yourself planted in front of this microphone. No more leftovers, it's time for the goddamn review. God damn it, Roger, mind your own business. And will you get me my boyfriend? <laughs> Listen. I need my boyfriend. <laughs> If there is one thing that terrifies me more than any movie that we've reviewed thus far, it's that woman's grating voice. <laughs> it haunts me. It haunts my nightmares. I wake up hearing it gravelly, grating. It's a very gruff voice. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Operator? Operator? <laughs> Troy, I feel if the fans don't already know what you're cluing them into... I mean, they have no business being here, apparently. I had never seen this movie before, but just after viewing it, I, A, can comprehend the fact that it has a very diehard fan base who, who seem to be rather infatuated with it, and I can understand why. And, uh, B, I mean, honestly, this movie is just a fucking weird. It's a weird movie. And uh, it's perfect material for us to dissect during our Dark Night of the Podcast. Especially for November. Exactly. Because as we mentioned, uh, we're doing it uh, two weeks early, but it is, it's November. It's Thanksgiving. We're getting in the holiday spirit by watching uh, and reviewing this, which is one of the very few Thanksgiving horror films that actually takes place on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not a big part of the actual film's plot. But none of the Thanksgiving films that are out there have Thanksgiving as like a major plot point like you would find in like Christmas horror, like Silent Night, Deadly Night. About the closest thing we ever got to like a true Thanksgiving-themed horror film never happened. It was Eli Roth's trailer, Groundhouse trailer, Thanksgiving, which was never made, unfortunately. Eli Roth, get off your ass and fucking make that movie already. So we can stop that trailer alone. So we can stop having podcasts cover Blood Rage every fucking November. <laughs> God, I fucking love that trailer so oh, much. Oh, it's that, so good. Oh, it has so much potential, truly. Before we get in, yeah, but before we get into Blood Rage, because I real, I think this one we're going to have a lot of fun with and probably have a lot to say. So let's briefly, you know, tell the, you know, we have a, we have a little shout out to give Roger, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I've got two individuals I really want to take a moment to thank, um, both for similar, like, similar yet separate reasons. Two ladies. It's really nice to see all the ladies coming out and supporting us. I'm so used to having the gays in our corner, but we got a couple of quality broads who are just, you know, voicing their support. First one is uh, 
the podcast Persephone herself, Teresa Padone, uh, recently signed up uh, to be one of our patrons on our Patreon. And we thank her very much. We thank her kindly. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Teresa. We are flattered that you, when I saw that you were our new patron, I got a little giddy because we truly appreciate the support. If you guys don't know who this is, which shame on you if you don't, but she was our guest co-host when we covered Tamara several episodes back now. Good Lord, Roger. We're approaching 50 episodes. We, ha- we have to talk about our big five zero. but pop culture Persephone, if you have not listened to her podcast, you need to. But again, Teresa, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for your support. Yes. Yes. Teresa's wonderful. And I can't, I can't express that enough that her podcast is a fucking treat. I was recently a guest on the latest episode too. Uh, just to shout that out. We do talk about a lot of gay things. So gays get in line. But I still want I still want to go on it and talk about the Jean Benet Ramsey case, Teresa. Are you listening? She's waiting for you, Troy. You gotta reach out. Okay. Listen, she trust me, she's brought it up multiple times. I guess I have to be the one that bridges that gap because I've been waiting for it. Jean Benet Ramsey, aka Katy Perry in disguise, <laughs> um, is is a, a topic worth discussing for sure. And you two know oh, all the yeah. facts. Um, I also want to thank one of our fans. I want to thank um, Aaron Gilmer, who recently submitted um, a very lovely uh, review of our podcast to um, the Apple Podcast platform. Great supporter. She really just made us feel really good this week with some lovely compliments. She really has. I think she just stumbled upon the podcast because of um, our Night of the Demons episode with Kathy Podwell. If you haven't listened to that one, you need to. It's a fucking treat. We, we talk about Night of the Demons with its star, Kathy Pogwell, and I think she just stumbled across one of our Instagram posts and became a fan and said we her new her new favorite podcast. Yeah, so thank you, Aaron. We appreciate the support. Absolutely. And we will be covering one of the movies that you suggested. I already know which one I want to do that you suggested, so there you go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I have to also say, in the sense of feeling famous lately because we have such support out of, out of nowhere... That we recently reviewed the movie Gravy, and I just want to acknowledge that not only did Jimmy Simpson like our post about him in the movie Gravy, he also fucking followed us. And he followed us before we followed him. So he is now one of our followers, and I feel like a fucking superstar, because I love him. I, yeah, he, I about shit when he, when I saw that he followed us. Liam McPoyle is my heart, like, he's he owns my heart with that fake eye. I could watch them over and over. So yeah, we're very lucky. We are just, yeah, we are just moving right on up. So folks, because we are becoming so famous, we have celebrities following us. (laughs) But you may want to jump on the Patreon wagon before we get too too overwhelmed. Too big. Yeah. Both physically and figuratively. Oh yeah. But go on. uh, Yeah. Patreon, the links in our bio or go to Patreon, search for dark. Now the podcast right now we have, four episodes we have two full-length episodes one on terrifier and repo the genetic opera then two mini bonus episodes and we are going getting ready to record our first november mm-hmm. patreon full-length episode we will do that tomorrow tomorrow over the controversial very controversial yet very important film megan is missing which roger has never seen so i'm really curious to see his reaction to this film because it is something else yeah yeah and i am i am gonna say this right now and troy i i'm i'm not even telling you i'm gonna do this 
But I'm also keeping in mind that the holidays are coming up and I want to get people's money before they start spending it on their families. <laughs> so I'm going to announce my Patreon choice for this month as well because I want to... Oh, I thought you were going to say you were going to start posting dick pics on the Patreon. Well, I mean, I was also going... I'm doing a boudoir shoot that we're releasing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's separate. But uh, we after, after we do Megan is Missing, later on this month, we're also going to release a review for um, Return to Oz, which is completely out of left field completely out of left field but i just want our listeners to know that the gifts will keep on giving because we're going to cover things that are just really out of the fucking blue with a horror movie theme of course but uh this was a movie that was a complete mind fuck for me as a child i know a lot of you can relate to it and i think this is kind of the perfect season when i think thanksgiving i think wizard of oz i think of it on tv why not watch the fucking sequel too because it's a mind fuck so um double the helping of mashed potatoes and of fucking weird movies for our patreon this year and faruza balk faruza balk and faruza balk yeah. little, she yeah. was a little girl yeah okay. we love her and we piper lori piper lori piper lori yes <laughs> we love piper we love some piper lori as a sensible aunt m yeah <laughs> but uh yeah so lots of good stuff coming and lots of good stuff we have planned well into 2022 stick around to the end of the episode to hear what we're covering next week with a very special guest that i'm super excited about but in the meantime, we have some business to get down to, Roger. We have some biz. We have some turkey to carve. We have some cranberry sauce to lick off of machetes. We have a shit ton to do. And plenty of leftovers to go around. <laughs> plenty of leftovers. <laughs> if you have not figured it out, we are talking about the 1987, aka really 1983, slasher flick, Blood Rage, also known as Slasher. Also known as Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Uh, this film, directed by a John Grissomer, whose only other directing credit is a 1977 film called Scalpel, that I've heard of, I've never seen, so I may have to check that out. The film, this film stars the one and only uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman herself, Louise Lasser, who I feel like isn't a totally different film, but we will get to that. Mark Soper as Todd's Terry and what did I say? Did I say Todd's? I did say Todd's as twins, <laughs> as twins, Terry and Todd, who I think gives a, pr- that is say that 10 times fast though. Let's be real. But I think he gives a pretty decent performance as t- in two dual roles that are very different. And then a bunch of nobodies. So we really don't need to talk about them. I, um, I'm going to throw it out there. We'd said it last episode. I just need to state this for listeners to understand I have somehow, some way, I call myself a horror movie aficionado. Never seen this movie. Never seen it. He's never seen I've this. I've heard folks. of it. Never. I've seen a repeating uh, gif of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman <laughs> sitting on the kitchen floor eating green beans and corn. Um, but aside from that, like I didn't, <laughs> I did not know anything about this movie. And so, like you guys have to kind of go easy on me. Well, actually, I mean, don't go easy on me. Go rough. But like. For somebody who's not seen this movie, I think the first initial takeaway is one of shock. I think it's one of confusion. I think there's a lot of things that you feel. I did watch it again. My feelings towards the movie afterwards definitely evolved, grew, and expanded. But, like, you got to understand I am going off of my first gut instinct of watching this movie 
a lot of it is what the fuck am I watching? Well, I think, you know, the film was, it was filmed in 1983 and it sat on shelves for almost, well, four years and it had a theatrical release in 1987, which is odd because, you know, I think that sort of maybe, I wouldn't say hurt the film, but maybe uh, tarnished it a little bit because think about that. Think about the slasher genre and kind of the evolution it went through from 83 to 87. Doesn't seem that like that's long a period of time. However, the market was saturated, saturated with slasher flicks between these those years. And 87, by 87, people were really just kind of tired of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can't really think of a lot of good slasher flicks that came out probably post 86 there are a handful yes there are but by that time people were just fatigued the the formula became too predictable became too just boring and horror fans kind of evolved they wanted something different so i feel like this film coming out in 87 really was a detriment to it because this film through and through i will say this is a 1000 percent unashamed slasher flick right there is nothing it's it's not pretending to be anything different it's not taking itself too seriously this is a slasher flick if it would have came out in 83 i definitely think the film would have been a lot more um it would have had a lot more success okay it's interesting that it sat on the shelf for 4 years but when it was finally released that it was released in a heavily heavily cut version Basically, all of the gore was cut out of it. And I've seen this version, and it's basically a P, it's less than PG. They, they, sh- they show nothing, virtually no blood, anything. So the uh, initial response among horror fans was very negative towards this film because it was everything was cut out. It wasn't until the film made its uh, home video debut that it was released in the uncut version that we see now with all the gore restored that really gives the film an extra just brutal, mean-spirited, uh, and interesting layer to it that I think really is what attracted then a lot of the fan base that's rabid about the film today to it that makes sense that makes sense and um i will say that one of the first one of the first positive takeaways for me as a first-time viewer was definitely the the volume of gratuitous gore um not every kill is something that they like really focus on the actual kill itself there are a few cutaways um but when they do show something when they choose to show something Oh, how they show it. <laughs> yeah, like not always even in their favor in the sense of like sometimes some of the effects, like you really see just how like <laughs> thrown together some of these effects are, but it's endearing and it's it matches like the level of cheesery that we're getting from the rest of the film overall. Because like this film at its core, I feel is a it's a it's a storyline straight out of a soap opera with a shit ton of intense violence added into it. Like, the storyline that we're given here, I have seen it in Days of Our Lives. I've seen it on Passions. Um, I, I yeah, it, And it makes sense having uh, Mary Hartman in this, considering what kind of show that was, because it just lends to that, like, bigger, exaggerated performance. And oh, how it's an exaggerated performance. Like, let's be clear. Like, that is a big performance 
that uh, that she's giving in this because you're right. She does not seem like she is <laughs> anywhere in the same universe as the rest of the performers in this movie. She is like just channeling something totally different, but it adds to the entertainment value. And um, like, honestly, like my takeaway from this to start this off is would I say I think this is a good movie? No, I would not. I personally would not. I think it is a fucking... At the first viewing for me was a rough viewing to get through. I'm going to be honest. Second time watching it with an adjusted level of expectations, I had a blast. And I completely comprehend why it has the kind of fan base it does. Because you just can't take this thing fucking seriously. It is fucking wild. It's absurd. But it's fun. It's so fucking fun. Um, And it makes complete sense to me why it has such a fan base. So let's get into it. I mean, we might as well just dive right into it. We we kind of, you know, have had stuff, have set the have set the you know, the plate for for our discussion of Blood Rage. So the film opens in 1974 at a drive-in theater in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know why they that was that's important to know. This film really could take place anywhere, but they they make a point to say Jacksonville, Florida. It's in a drive-in theater that's playing a house call or playing. A, oh my God! I'm just, it's playing a movie <laughs> called "The House That Cried Murder." Interesting. So we just get a montage of various like misfits at this drive-in theater uh, doing all kinds of various things. There is like this jock guy buying popcorn walking into the bathroom with his big tub of popcorn and his cutoff sleeve sweater. And in the bathroom selling condoms is none other than Ted Raimi himself, who we have talked about in a past episode because Ted Raimi, of course, is the brother of, um, uh, help me out here. I'm, bl- Sam, I'm Raimi. Farting. Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi, who was in Ted Raimi was an intruder. Mm-hmm. Okay. Way back when, episode we discussed Truder. So he's selling condoms. He opens up his his jacket and has a whole line of condoms in his jacket. A few things at this point already. Oh, well, we're getting, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, we're, I mean, we're jumping right into this. Um, a, heavy synth score. I dig it. I dig it. Right off the bat, we got a heavy synth score. Um, this man in his purple, you know, cutoff tank, um, in, I find very attractive. I don't know why, but his wardrobe is straight out of an ASOS catalog. And plenty of the shirts in this movie I have seen in the ASOS catalog. I'm convinced that somebody designing for ASOS got their hands on this movie and brought this fashion into 2020 summer catalog because I own a few of the shirts and I own one of the exact tanks that uh, Terry wears later in the movie. Swear to God, Troy, oh, I'm sending you a photo. Well, look at that. Swear to God, God, the exact same well, thing. Well, we, we, <laughs> hey, one less piece of wardrobe we have to buy for our calendar. Oh, my God. And just you guys wait because it's coming. Um, but um, I'm curious. <laughs> but, but no, this guy, this guy is attractive. It, <laughs> yes. it's, it's a really good thing that he is attractive because he cannot act his way out of a plastic bag. He has like two lines. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. But I do have yeah. a question regarding how does one make profit selling rubbers at a drive-in um because well here's the thing (laughs) first of all everyone's fucking let's be clear about this everyone at this drive-in is having sex except that hippie chick she wanted nothing Uh, to do well she was enjoying the house that cried flesh or whatever it was uh but no but everybody like literally is this what people did in this era was just go to drive-ins and i don't know i think it's like a stereotype i'm sure people i'm sure it is but like everyone 
Literally everyone in this drive-in is fucking. Ex- even they're doing it on the fucking hood of the car, except that 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 dumpy hippie chick. Well, because she's really watching the film, and her her poor lover with a with a the mustache. He's she dumps the popcorn. Oh yeah, she's her. pissed because he's interrupting her viewing. But I uh, know the 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 the, the Raimi selling condoms like i mean he seems pretty confident but in this, his business. here's the thing this was 1983 did you okay this was filmed in 1983 and this is supposed to be 1974 the, that dude paid a dollar one dollar <laughs> for a condom i remember when i was in high school not that i not that i you know did this <laughs> but i remember going to the you know the bath the bathrooms like at quick shop you could buy a condom for 50 cents not that i ever did it <laughs> but, Troy, but no, uh, he pays a dollar for a full strand of about no no he doesn't he nuh-uh, does nuh-uh, he give him just he, one he gives him you need to rewatch oh, wow. it that you must, to, he pulled <laughs> that better he be a tears good one off and so he's making a damn profit, <laughs> oh wow that, i can tell yeah, you yeah i mean he's putting himself through college with that kind of profit yeah if that's the case if it's a, a buck a condom jesus christ and it better be a good fuck uh well it it doesn't it turns out it doesn't to look be, like no. it. <laughs> by the end of this it does not work out in his favor but um yeah I was just blown away that this man has set up shop in this men's bathroom and he's, there's a line he's selling rubbers to everyone he's got his jackets filled with them all shapes and sizes and textures anyway so yeah and after he buys his condom there's just a montage of people fucking everywhere just everywhere everywhere you know who's not fucking though <laughs> is. Louise Lasser. Oh, they're getting there. <laughs> she's on her way, and the the man that she's with. Okay, a few things. First of all, Louise Lasser looks to be roughly forty years senior. The man she's with. <laughs> so there's that. I don't know how they arrange this, but for some reason she's here with someone who maybe she. I don't know. She's teaching in school. I don't know what the relationship is. Second, second, Louise Lasser is looking. Haggard in this, <laughs> like she is looking. I, I mean, she is looking like she has been through the ringer, and it makes sense because her character Maddie is never not stressed on the verge of a breakdown over the entire course of this movie. This poor woman is constantly trembling with stress, and it's it's all obviously due to the two platinum haired demons that she has in the back of her car who look straight out of village of the damned i'm sorry these, these kids <laughs> these okay let me let me put the, okay this woman is going to the drive-in to get some dick right apparently young dick hey more power to you grandma a girl. That's all. but here's the thing leave your 15 year old kids at home 15 they're, 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 these kids are taller than i am they she could have left them at home but they, I mean, I think why are they in the back of the car how old are they supposed to be? Like 11? I don't. Either no, way, they, these kids it's are inappropriate. 15. It's inappropriate that they're even there to begin with. But because she's, they, they start making, the kids are asleep in the back of this uh, station wagon. They start making out and, not you know, he's kids. trying to like. Mary Hartman. No, not the kids. <laughs> Louise Lasser and her, her boy toy start making out. And he's like, he starts feeling her breasts and she's like, oh no, the boys are back there and they're back there. And the dude's like, they've been asleep for a half hour. Let's just do it. So they start making out, blah, blah, blah. And this is when we find out this, she must be a hoe because the kid wakes up. He's like, Hey, Todd, wake up. Let's get out of here. Mom's at it again. How many times are you fucking in front of your kids that they're just be like, mom's at it again. She's She's getting some dick. This this line, I mean, I actually think this is a pretty important line. It's super understated. It's, like, very hushed. Uh, you got to, like, really listen to hear it. But I think it's a very pivotal line. 
as you see, you know, the story unfold and how things progress and the one character's backstory start to unravel, um, I really, I wish they would have focused more on the kids' reactions to this as youths, uh, because this is all we really get of of Louise Lasser's apparent strumpet affairs that she's having. Um, because, yeah, the kid focuses on it for like one single line, and it's not really ever addressed again. Yeah, so they sneak out of the station wagon, and on the way out, as they're walking through the drive-in theater, um, Terry finds a hatchet from the... Oh, thank God, that's... Yeah, there. why is there a, there's <laughs> just a hatchet sitting in the back of a truck? But he grabs it. It's the 70s. People act differently in yeah, the 70s. Yeah, he grabs it and proceeds to go spy on the dude that just bought the condom for a dollar fucking his girlfriend in the back seat of their car. As you would, right? As you would, at this movie theater at least, this drive-in, because much like everybody else, the kid walks right up to the window. He just pops his head right in, and a uh, purple shirt looks up <laughs> and very unconvincingly delivers a line requesting he leave. He says something along the lines of, Hey, you, punk. Get out of here. <laughs> Something like that. Something that didn't register very well in the final cut of the movie. But it's okay, because he says two things, and the child proceeds to very graphically axe the fuck out of his head as he's banging this girl. And it's honestly like, what a way to start this movie. I'll say that. The way they executed this sequence, I was pretty blown away. It really is shocking it's gory it's gruesome you see the slit go across the oh, his eye. God, oh, I yeah. mean, like, and the poor woman's underneath mounted she's just like oh like screaming waving or flailing her hands she gets out and fully nude sprints away like as you do when a child comes up and acts as your lover i guess but like what a good sequence oh it's yeah the the effect here is really really good like you get the shot after he's been axed in the face of his head like laying against the the uh the wind windshield thing of the car and yeah you could just see the slit like his whole eye is missing there's a big gouge blood's dripping out he's like Ugh. uh it is pretty disgusting anyway so as this chaos is a, it's ensuing terry proceeds to take the hatchet and give it to a very stunned silent todd who's just standing there kind of shocked gives the hatchet to him and then wipes blood on his face and then starts screaming about what Todd, Todd just hurt these people. And of course the mother hears this and comes running. And basically what happens is everyone thinks that poor Todd is the one that just hatched, hatcheted this stud with his Trojan condom to death. Apparently like that's what we're made to believe. But like, I don't know if it's because of the way they executed this moment or, like, the angle they chose to use. I don't know. But as this is unfolding, as Terry is handing the axe to Todd, there is a plethora of people starting to surround them. And I'm sorry, but it's just, maybe it's the way it was executed. It looks very clear to me that these people would have seen exactly what was transpiring and the fact that that Terry is basically pushing the blame onto his brother, um, even down to like the fact that he smears blood on his brother's face and he puts it on his hands. There's still way more blood on Terry 
than there is on Todd. Like, I, I would still have severe doubts of who did it. You know, I would, I would be questioning this just based off of how this is unfolding. Um, and, like, I understand that perhaps Todd is traumatized by what just transpired, transpired. but, like, eventually the kid's going to say something. And there's not enough proof here <laughs> to convince me that his brother didn't have something to do with this. Um, it doesn't really make for a solid, like, lead-in to, like, w you know, what the storyline ends up being, in my opinion. No, because, yeah, would they would they really just buy it that easily? Like you said, both of the kids have blood on them. The, especially the one has way more blood on him. I'm sorry. Like, where'd the fucking, where'd the girl, where'd the naked girl go? Because she saw exactly who hatcheted it. She was underneath looking up and she clearly saw which kid did it. Did they not question her or did they just let her run off into the wild naked, never to be seen again? It's just a glaring inconsistency. It is. Well, it in is because in, a, full of in real life, that <laughs> in real life, the, the naked girl would would have been she, questioned, and she, she would have e easily said, "Hey, yeah, it was the one in the yellow shirt." Yeah. Unless right? to this day, Troy, the, she's still she's still running. She, she's still that's <laughs> what I just said. She ran off into the wild, never she's to be seen never again. been found. She's just still going. So now, if if the movie uh, forwards into the future, I guess ten years, and because it's eighty four now, and we get uh, a scene of Maddie making her visit this is confusing too based on what's said is this like a weekly visit a monthly visit i don't know but she goes to visit todd he's in a mental hospital and he has this dr berman sensible who reminded me of mary warnov actually um some of her earlier roles yeah um not a bad actress i mean I heard that a little trivia. She was not, she's the, she's the producer of this film. Like the very first name that pops up on screen as the credits come. It's a woman. I can't think of what her name is, but she produced this film and the actress that they hired to play this Dr. Berman character didn't show up <laughs> the first day. So she just had to do the role. And I actually think she's pretty decent. She's fine. But this is a very odd scene because it's done through like a voiceover which does not fit the rest of the tone of the movie. Like it's, this is Dr. Berman's diary, November 23rd, 1984. Maddie comes to visit her son. And it's just done through voiceover. Like the whole scene is narrated through this doctor's voice notes that she took during the scene. And it's very confusing because she, it, there's a point where um, she's like, I have, I've had to tell her, you know, what has transpired because what is happening is as, Todd has gotten older now, obviously he is starting to remember that he is not that Terry's the one that killed the guy. He didn't do it. He told his doctor this. So now his doctor has to tell the mother, the mother freaks out, right? She's like, Terry did not do this. Nah, nah, nah. She brings Todd in to meet his mother. And there's this weird line where she's like, I did not know how they would react because I've never seen them together before. I'm like, what? Is this like the first time this woman has ever visited her child? Because it's set up that you've been his doctor for a very long time, right? And later in the movie, she says that she always brings him pie. Yeah. So like, it's not so, consistent. Where have you been, lady? Yeah. She just lets she just lets Jackie usually sit in on the meetings. Remember Jackie? You know Jackie, right? <laughs> oh, I've, we're talking about Jackie. Trust me, I got notes on Jackie. Um, <laughs> You know, this scene, it, it, it's curious, and the fact that you even mentioned, like, this, the fact that one actress didn't show up, it even kind of lends more to, like, my... You my, probably read the my, lines. Like, well, oh, I'm old. 
Well, I'm almost wondering, I'm not saying this is the case, I haven't read up on this, but it almost seems as though, like, maybe the audio in the scene didn't record properly and they needed to cover it up. Mm. And that's why they went to, like, a a voiceover option. Uh, I'm not saying that's what happened, I don't know, but because, like, the dialogue is very quiet throughout the whole thing, even when they occasionally have blips of it come up. And um, the, the voiceover is just very abrupt. And it would make sense if, like, the Doctor was more of a through story, which in a way you kind of think she's going to be at first, but you'll learn she's not. But, like, it's never, again, shown from her perspective. She's not really focused on it all. It was just a really weird choice, and it, it doesn't, you're right, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why that's the route that they took with this specific scene. But, like, between the abrupt voiceover and the over-the-top acting, because you're getting it from Maddie, full caliber in this sequence i assure you and her gruff gravelly voice and everything i just i felt this scene just oozes soap opera like it just is soap opera dramatics to an extreme it's a very awkward sequence there's that moment where she's like screaming ah my 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 children are not guinea pigs and then you hear the doctor's voiceover she's like well Thank God I had ex- I've had experience dealing with hysterical patients because I was able to calm her down. <laughs> yeah, and like all she it's does so is she ridiculous. just stares at her, and like I really feel <laughs> yeah. like I I'm curious if that was like intended to be that way, and the fact that she's the producer, like at least you know she was around to, to record a voiceover because it does seem very out of place, and and, and it, it seems like shoved in there, you know. Well, Maddie did bring Todd a piece of pie, and as she gives it to him, he proceeds to take it in his hands and smash it like like start smashing it and start saying i didn't get me out of here i didn't kill anybody as he's smashing his pumpkin pie and she's trying to he's not pleased with the pie or with the situation No, she's trying to calm him down and the doctors have to come in and throw him on the floor and get him under control so now we cut to a football game with some tight shorts Oh my God, those shorts. Short, short, tight shorts. Greg has them riding up his ass, which I was totally fine with that. Oh my God, Greg can get it any fucking day of the week. Greg, Greg. Daddy-like, daddy-like. And you know what? Here's my, maybe it's just me. I I don't know. Fellow gays, you're going to have to chime in on this. I actually think that I actually have a little thing for both Terry and Todd. I think he's a very attractive I, I, I think I'm more attracted to the Todd version of, than the Terry version. Obviously. I get it. But I get you know, it. I, I, there's something kind of quirkily sexy about the actor. Obviously, he plays both characters, but uh, I, I kind of have a little thing for him. I'm like, hmm. You know, I wouldn't. You know, I'm a natural blonde myself, and so I, I like the moppy, just, the blonde moppy hair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the. I get it. I get the appeal. I, he's yeah, not I get type. it. All the girls there want to fuck him, though, so hey. But it's a little football game, and they're, they're all playing, and you get some old lady j- jogging by with her daughter, Andrea. <laughs> Beth. Beth. Oh, like I, the old lady's listen, give me more of Beth in this movie. <laughs> she was only in the movie for uh, two Yep, two give scenes, me more. Whatever. But she's like, we're new to the neighborhood, and we got invited over for Thanksgiving, and we're, we're going to be there. And her daughter, Andrea, is, of course, this buxom blonde <laughs> with heavy makeup this with heavy gal, makeup she paints it on we also get introduced to what ends up being um our final girl so to speak which her name is karen played by julie gordon i believe who i don't mind um 
I don't know. I mean, is she the greatest final girl in history? No. Does she really do much as a final girl in this movie? No. Uh, I do like, I think she's very like likable. She's well-intentioned. Yeah. She's, I think she's very well-intentioned. She's very likable. She's not, she doesn't get on my nerves. I like some of her line delivery. She seems to have very good charisma with the other cast members. Uh, particularly the male ones. I, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but there's a lot of chemistry. She very she's very natural in most of the films. There are this, there's some line delivery towards the end that's pretty cringe worthy. But for the most part, I I'm down with Karen. I get it. I I like Karen. She's your quintessential like girl next door type of final girl. So after the football scene, it cuts to just some like awkward laughing around the Thanksgiving table, just people laughing for no reason. We don't know what they're With laughing big about. Big hair. Big hair, laughing. Uh, Maddie's at the end of the table. It's obviously she cooked this beautiful Thanksgiving dinner, but she wants to make an announcement first. And I feel like this announcement's what triggers sort of the rest of what happens to the, in the film, especially in Terry. Because I feel like something in Terry, can we t- we're going to talk about this, but there is definitely some underlying, like, incestuous strings that run through this movie because it seems like Terry is triggered to murder by his mother being intimate. Oh yeah. I have uh, the exact same note to be honest. Like there's some very like cringy scenes between those two at the end where it's like, are you, this is verging on like inappropriate. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely like Terry clearly has an issue with, his mother experiencing any form of intimacy at all. Um, and it's something that's like only hinted at with that line earlier in the movie. And this moment here with like what ends up becoming, an, it's an engagement. Her, her, uh, her boyfriend, Brad has proposed to her and she announces it. But um, that's all we really get is like, like, like I said, that line earlier in the film. And now this kind of moment where you see Terry go like wide eyed when the engagement announcement happens um, and I think this movie would have benefited from a little more focus on that, onto why that character is experiencing that, because it, it's it's just it's very vague and it's it's not a prevalent enough focus for us as the audience to really completely understand like what's going on with his character. Uh, it also, unfortunately, it means that we have to see. Louise Lasser make out with multiple men several times over the course of this movie. And that's just something I don't want to see. I'm sorry, Louise Lasser, God love her, but I don't look at her as a a sexual being um, for multiple reasons. Um, And they they put her in this very low-cut, very plunging neckline gown for Thanksgiving. Who wears that dress to Thanksgiving? Like a harlot? Like, oh my God, with her, with her, with her aged breast pushed all the way up. I don't want to see that. So yeah, it's very weird. It's all very weird. <laughs> it is very weird. She has her nice little pigtails, but you know, it, it, it's interesting. Terry does feign that he is happy for them, but you can definitely tell that he is not feeling this at all. There's a moment where um, they're going to cut the turkey, right? And Maddie tells, you know, tells um, Terry to cut the turkey and Terry takes the knife and very menacingly, like puts it almost towards to Brad's chest, and it's like, oh, well, you're the new man in the of the house. You need to do the honors. And even 
uh, Maddie catches this because she gives a kind of this odd look to him. And, you know, of course, Brad starts cutting the turkey. We're interrupted by a phone call. Maddie has to leave the table to go take this phone call. In the meantime, you know, I, Terry is fl- sitting there like flirting with Andrea, this new girl, when his girlfriend is like sitting right at the table. I'm like, you're a dick. And I have to acknowledge the entire time over the course of all of this happening, there is this suspenseful piano music playing over the carving of the turkey and the whole meal, basically. Uh, and it's like this very like foreboding piano. And it like is very, very like awkwardly placed over this sequence. And I think they were trying to like add just to like, oh, there's tension here. Something's afoot. He's about to lose it. Things are going to go awry. Because I think they probably realize like the whole story arc of this character having this weird issue with his mother maybe wasn't hitting home. So they're like, let's layer it on thick for those who don't understand it. Because I feel that music was very like awkward over the scene. Yeah, well, she calls him to the kitchen to tell him what the phone call is. And we find out that that Terry or Todd, sorry, Todd has basically is missing from the mental hospital. They can't find him. He's ran away and they're kind of freaking out about it. And she asks him very kindly not to ruin Thanksgiving and to not mention it to the rest of the, the people out there because she doesn't want them to to get you know worried first thing he does when he goes out there to the table when he returns to the group is like oh well it looks like you're going to be able to meet the rest of the family my psychotic brother just escaped from the mental hospital (laughs) and the look she gives him oh for god that yeah that fucker listen i'm gonna say this why is no if this is how terry acts on a regular basis because i'm assuming this is just who he is as a person a fucking asshole why is nobody suspecting that he would be the crazy exactly. one? Because that alone, in that moment. Especially, yeah. yeah, the mother. The mother, why is not she? There are so many clues throughout the film that Terry's the one that has, is killing people that she just ignores blatantly. It, it's It gets a little odd. Uh, yeah, this look she gives him, though, I mean, I, I don't think, I think Louise Lasser's performance is very, just like we, we've talked about, it. she seems like she's in a totally different movie. She plays an erotic very well, but I, I don't know if it's just the the performers around her are just not she's not meshing well with them or um, <sighs> she sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, like I don't know what the director's direction towards her was. Uh, she's very just theatrical when the other when the other actors are very much grounded, kind of in reality. She's not. Um, she's very, like I said, over the top, but uh, there are moments of her performance that I think are very good. And this is one of them, this facial expression that she gives Terry after he announces that his brother just escaped. It could, that could like cut glass. Oh yeah. And and she holds it for a long, it's not just like a quick glance. Like it's pretty intense and you know, she's thinking she wants to just like punch him or say something. And she doesn't, I feel like. Well, I, I, just in regards to her performance, I feel like, um, I almost feel like maybe because she's like the name attached to the film, I, I'm curious if like maybe the director just let her do her thing and, you know, whether or not that was for the benefit of the movie. Well, I mean, some scenes it works, some scenes it doesn't. But like one example I want to give of, of an inconsistency that was problematic to me, the viewer, is she, in multiple scenes, she chooses to speak in a very hushed 
whispered tone. Like there are moments where she's relaying like something secretive or something personal. And she delivers her lines almost like an ASMR kind of like, she's talking like this and she's very hushed. And then it cuts like, you know, or not cuts, but like the actor responds and they respond like at regular volume. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's super inconsistent. It doesn't seem rehearsed. It doesn't seem like the two performers in, in each individual sequence really, like you said, like they mesh, like they were on the same page. It really feels like she's kind of just doing her own thing in her own world. And the actors just kind of had to like keep up. And uh, plenty of times they just don't. There are times that it just, it does seem like they're in two completely separate movies. You said that to me going into this. And I'm shocked at just exactly how glaring that really is. Yeah, it oh, it is. And I, I think, I mean, this is a director with very little experience. And so, you know, he's only made one other film and to be working with kind of this um, actress known for this iconic role, he probably did let her do her thing. You know, it's very similar to, you know, some of the films that like Meryl Streep has worked on, specifically like Doubt, uh, because John Patrick Shanley directed that film. And I believe... It was his first time directing. He wrote the play uh, and they chose him to direct. And there's a lot of, you know, people either love that performance or think it's like way over the top. And it's because he basically just let her do her own thing because it's Meryl Streep, of course. I'm not comparing Louise Lasseter and Meryl Streep, but I'm just saying that stuff happens. Like when you have a, a novice director working with a huge, huge movie star, it, they can be intimidated to give actual direction because you know, who am I to tell Louise Lasser how to deliver a line? She's, you know, an, an Emmy nominated actress. I'm not going to tell her anything, but it's, it's very much, I think that's what it was. It's, he just let her go to town. She interpreted the character, you know, in, in a certain way and just went to town with it and wasn't reined in. Yeah. And I think because of that, like that complete lack of control, this whole Oedipus complex element that exists, almost gets downplayed even more <laughs> to be like, you know, if there is this infatuation between the son and the mother, like if that is a thing, it's really hard to target and register. A lot of that being because she's so unhinged. She's the one that seems really unstable over the course of this movie. And his performance is at times actually more understated than hers. And he's the one killing people. So like that whole like infatuation, Oedipus infatuation, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's very confusing. But we'll go with it. We'll roll with it. Yeah. Uh, they are finishing cleaning up. She goes into her room for a minute to relax. Brad tells her he's going to finish cleaning up for her. And, but then he comes in like three seconds later and is trying to like make out with her and have sex. And she's like, I can't do this right now because Terry's in here. And he's like watching them. And then she's like, I just need to, I, I'm going to just start straightening up the place. I need to relax. So we get a shot of then of Terry now has changed into a sensible striped long sleeved polo. He's doing his hair. He's even spraying his little hair with hairspray. The doorbell rings. He goes to answer and is immediately has a gun pulled on him and is slammed up against the wall by Jackie, who is Dr. Berman's assistant. Let's fucking talk about Jackie for a second, shall we? Just a second. Um, he's a fucking idiot, but God, did I want him to get naked over the course of this film. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. He's a moron, but he's so pretty. I mean, am I am I wrong in saying this, Troy? His arms alone. Uh, he's a, 
Yeah, he's attractive. He's not the most attractive one in the cast, but yeah, I could see that. I mean, all the I think all the guys and well, I mean the 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 male the male characters in the film are pretty attractive, and there's not really a dud among the bunch. There's something about Jackie that did it for me. I don't know why. I like stupid stupid guys. I do. Yeah, he's dumb, and he's just like kind of he's yeah he's dopish. Like he says really inappropriate things. Uh, anyway, so. He has the gun, and this is when Dr. Berman um, runs up and is like, put that gun away. Can't you see that's his twin? And the mother comes out, and she's like, have you found Todd yet? And they're like, no, but we're here to look for him. So Brad proceeds to tell them. We find out Brad, uh, who is Maddie's boyfriend, he is the manager of this apartment complex. So he takes Jackie and Dr. Berman, you know, takes them to kind of show them where they can start looking. So apparently this property's 10 acres long there. He could either be uh, hiding on the like patios of all the different apartments or there's like this nature trail that goes through the woods. Oh, it's lovely. It's a scenic trail. It's beautiful. But she, Dr. Berman's like, she wants to split up. She's like, tells Jackie, hey, why don't you go search the patios? I'm going to go in the woods. He's like, uh, I don't think that's a good idea. He's, she's like, oh, hush, Jackie, you just go do what I tell you and give me the gun. So she takes the gun. She even has the gun, which I'm going to mention later. And Jackie goes and, you know, they, they split up. Uh, do, Jackie does make this line about really loudly. He asks Brad, oh, so you're the manager here? Hey, were you around when that, you know, that Todd kid went wacko? So the mother could hear it. I mean, she's right in the doorway. I'm like, oh, Jackie. Oh, Jackie, you're pretty, but my God, you're dumb. Brad goes to his office. He calls Maddie. They're talking on the phone. Terry shows up behind him. And as Brad hangs up the phone with Maddie, he, he has he opens up his little, what is it, Paps Blue Ribbon beer and takes a sip of it. And uh, Terry taps him on the shoulder. Brad turns around. And it's like, oh, look what the cat dragged in. And Terry proceeds to slice his hand off with the machete. The hand, the hand goes flying, still gripping the Paps Blue Ribbon beer can, like absurd, crushing it. He's holding up a bloody stump and squirting blood everywhere. I mean, the the effect for the most part, the effect is really good. Like this sequence is pretty great. I'm gonna be honest. Like we've had, we've had now two really awesome kill sequences. There is a moment where I've got to acknowledge the hand is like. It's on the ground holding the beer and it begins to like move. Like the fingers are still moving. And I, you know, I'm sorry, but that is not plausible. But who am I to call such things out? But the hands there flexing its fingers and everything is Brad's bleeding out. Um, It's a really fun sequence. I can look past the, uh, you know, the realism because like, let's be fucking real. Let's acknowledge what movie we're talking about. Uh, blood rage. I really shouldn't have high expectations for such things, but the effect is fun. It's fun. Yeah. So we cut back to Jackie, who is like wandering around the back patios of this apartment complex. And let me tell you something for an apartment complex as large as this is, there's only like a handful of people that seem to live here because nobody seems, nobody ever seems to hear anything except like the same four people. Like where is everybody else? I understand it's Thanksgiving, but I feel like there'd be more people around uh, Jackie is wandering behind these patios of these apartments, screaming for Todd. So like, Todd, come out, come out, Todd. I'll give you some weed. Come out. You want some weed? Which I would respond to. Well, immediately. my question <gasps> is, why are they so sure that he's going to show up there? And B, would he remember how to get here? 
And how, well, how far away is this place? Because he walks there. I mean, the mental hospital must be like a block away because he gets there pretty quick. But also, I, again, inconsistencies in the story or just things that aren't explained. Um, I mean, have they, so they have lived there this whole, this whole time, I'm assuming. I guess that's why they have, um, that line that uh, Jackie says about were you around when he killed him? Blah blah blah. Because you know, overall, that's not really established if they've moved in the period of time since this all transpired. But um, there's there's a lot of things that are kind of I guess left to the viewer to like understand or piece together. And and like I don't even know. Just like did did Brad know her at the point that. Did Brad know Maddie at the point when the murders happened? Because he just, he proposed, he recently proposed, how long have they been dating? How long has, like, you know, it just, the timeline of things is just very vague. I, I really don't understand. And another thing that's really confusing to me, to be honest, with all of this, in the sense of just things kind of falling into place and trying to figure it out as the viewer. Um, so Terry, apparently to me, like, Terry has just kept his sex-triggered bloodlust at bay. For all of this time, he's just not done anything about it. But now that Todd is out, he figures, what the fuck, might as well just kill all of these people. Why not? I can just blame it on my brother. He's just like, I guess, assuming things are just going to go to plan. But like, mm -hmm. he's not done anything. He's not He's not been triggered by his Oedipus complex bloodlust up until this point. Like, because it seems sure seems like his mom has been fucking getting dicked down all this time by Brad. You know, so I'm just it's. I mean, uh, why am I asking these questions? Though? Like, what? It's it's fucking blood rage. Like, I don't. Who am I? Why am I inquiring, asking such, you know, specific questions when I need to acknowledge that this movie is like fucking absurd? And I I kind of just need to go into it accepting that there's not really a strong sense of like believability in some of these moments. No, no, the plot's very just contrived. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. Could a could a murderer that's capable of murdering uh, people as brutally, gleefully as Terry is, could he really keep that under control for ten years? I mean, this this is a dude that enjoys killing. Exactly. I mean, we're not talking about. I mean, he he gets a total kick out of killing people. Uh, so I don't think that he would be able to, you know, suppress that. For 10 years, there would be some, maybe there was, we don't know. We don't know what happened between those, but there's nothing mentioned of people like showing up dead, unresolved murders, blah, blah, blah. So we're just assuming that this just triggered him to do it again. Whatever. We'll go with it because now we get, uh, Jackie has lit up a joint on the back of one of these patios and is sitting there and who shows up? Terry, Terry shows up and, ja and, um, Jackie's like, Oh dude, you you don't even know. You guys look so alike. It's it's scary. Hey, you want to hit on my joint? And and Terry's like, sure. And he takes a hit. And then stupid Jackie makes a mistake. Why would you say this? Like, why would you say this to somebody that is right in front of you? He's like, you know, Dr. Berman told me that Todd didn't kill anybody. That it was you. Does he say it was you? I don't think he says it was you. I uh, well, I think that's the insinuation, right? That's the insinuation. insinuation. I yeah. mean, that, because right away his eyes go, "Oh yeah. shit!" Like I mean, if if, Doc, if if yeah. Doctor Berman's saying that Todd didn't do it, 
then who's left that did it? That's obviously a huge insinuation. Right. So he grabs his shoulder and he's like, yes, he did. And shoves the machete right through him. And this is a pretty cool effect too. I thought, because it does show the machete come out of his back kind of in one wide shot. It's really, you know, he's like, and Jackie delivers a very effeminate scream. It's almost sensual. Cause he like, he grabs onto Terry by like the neck and he looks him dead in the eyes. And he's like, Oh, like almost as though he's been penetrated, which he has been, but through the wrong area of the body in my mind. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a good effect. And it's very bloody. Uh, the aftermath is pretty gruesome. Um, I like this moment, but God, I was sad to see Jackie go. He added a little bit of levity. Yeah, he didn't last long. Uh, didn't. Cut to Berman wandering through these woods calling for Todd. I don't know what. It's so ridiculous. Like, you're just not going to wander through woods. Todd, are you there? Todd, are She's you there? very confident that he is on this premises. Mm. Yeah. And then now we get the iconic shot of Maddie sitting in front of the refrigerator, legs spread wide open. She has a a bowl of green beans and a bowl of what corn? Corn, yes. And this bitch is just piling it in, grabbing it with her fingers and shoving her whole hand in her mouth. Maddie girl sitting there eating those leftovers. Like she's got nothing left to live for. And I mean, we've all been there. I feel it. Like I mean, if you were to ask me, Roger, has there ever been a time in your life where you were sitting on the kitchen floor eating? leftovers right out of the fridge i mean honestly i'd have to say yes this is this has happened to me multiple times so i get it girl man i feel for you and it's pretty clear that she's you know starting to lose her shit which she just does all the time apparently based off the way this character is portrayed but um it's the beginning of the end for manny mentally at least because she starts to spiral yeah this is just one of the many episodes that she has throughout the film now, this is when it cuts back to Dr. Bourbon walking through the woods and Terry comes up behind her with the machete, right? And she sees him and she just stands there with mouth agape, eyes wide, just screaming. And I'm like, bitch, you just took a gun from your assistant for a situation like this. Why are you just standing there going, uh, uh, uh? Pull the fucking gun out you just took and shoot the motherfucker. Pull the gun out. And she, like, she's just gate-mouthed in shock as he, it's not like he runs at her. No, he's he's like 30 feet away when she sees him. And he just walks right towards her and she just stands there and lets him kill her. But I will say that the way that they edited this, like, overall, is the payoff worth it? Absolutely. They do do a cut back and forth, back and forth, kind of like, this is what's happening with Maddie. Meanwhile, this is what the doctor's up to. Meanwhile, now we're back to Maddie again. She's filling a a wine glass to the brim with an entire bottle of wine as she's attempting to make a phone call. Again, we've all been there. But what comes after that moment with the wine glass is honestly, I I dare say, (laughs) one of the most effective moments in the film. It is grotesque. Um, It's not at all plausible. Like, with that machete, you cannot tell me what happens here is possible. But it's such a kick-ass moment that I'll buy it. I'll take it because it is great. Yeah, it is a shot. After Maddie fills up her wine glass, we get a cut back to a shot of poor Dr. Berman basically cut in half. Her legs are at one. Her legs are over here. Her torso's up here. Her legs are still a kicking. She's on the ground screaming, you know, trying to grasp at her legs. It's 
it's gross. You can tell what the effect is that they had her underground with her head poking up. But regardless, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah, and the fact that she's still alive and she's reaching, yes. and she's dying, like it, it really looks very painful. And whoever, like, okay, whoever decided to like handle the gore effects for this movie had no grasp of realism whatsoever because things like you know multiple times limbs or body parts get cut off and they're still moving without any connection to a spinal cord or you know it just it doesn't make any sense but i love it because it it fits the tone of the rest of the film which is just absolutely bonkers and it really like this is probably my favorite kill in the movie because i did not expect it to cut back and just reveal her completely cut in half but uh it's a satisfying moment and she she's like yeah she's trying to grab her legs and her legs are like waddling around it's (laughs) it's wild it is, well, imagine seeing this as a kid. I remember seeing this as a kid and just being like totally uh, scarred by it because it is pretty graphic, pretty brutal. In the meantime, there's a shot of Todd now walking up to the Shadow Woods apartment sign. So apparently he remembers exactly where this place is and he's able to walk to it from the mental hospital. I, I, I didn't realize the mental hospital was that close, but apparently it is uh, because he shows up. We cut to Terry in the bathroom now. He takes off his blood-soaked striped shirt. And this is the first line delivery of many deliveries of this line that's kind of become the iconic tagline of this movie as he's, you know, patting the blood on his shirt and kind of tasting. He's like, it's not cranberry sauce, which has become the tagline of the film. And that's the Thanksgiving yeah. theme can, yeah. continues because he says because it about 20 more times and it, it really should be on the cover art because it is it is constant. on the cover art. that's the tagline of the is it, yeah it's the blu-ray the blu-ray that was just released or not, it says it's not cram yeah that's the tagline i have good it, yeah. on them yeah good yeah, on yeah. them for keeping up with the, the theme and appeasing but the he, fans but did you notice this he shot he gets in the shot he's showering but he left his underwear on i'm like oh terry i noted those, that take that those underwear blue. i wonder if that was a mistake yeah I definitely feel that was the case. That the camera went down too low because you just see the very, you can just see the very top edge of his underwear. I'm like, God damn it. I wanted to see some ass, which we do. We see a very oh, we nice. Do. It's uh, coming and it's a thick one too. Yeah. And we also get treated to a full uh, array of footage of, um, of Maddie deep cleaning her kitchen. <laughs> she's, oh, she's Jesus, cleaning Maddie. her stove. She's drinking. She's vacuuming at one point. Like this woman, I, you know, I see this a lot in older women, mothers, you get it a lot. They cope with trauma with with cleaning. They they And she still make it she's stopping to make this phone call every few minutes and I I I, I guess we are gathering that she's trying to call Yes, Brad, but that's her right? only story he's not, arc over the majority of the film. Oh all she God, has this is woman. this phone call. That's literally all she has. Which we're going to talk about <laughs> when we get there to this moment because I this annoyed me. Um so Terry his trifling ass shows up to Andrea's, even though he has a girlfriend, right? He's Andrea's and she offers him either tomato. She offers him vodka and tomato juice or tomato juice and vodka. I'm like, is that a thing? I guess it is at the bloody Mary, but I don't, you don't just put tomato juice and vodka together. Do you? Don't you have to have something with it? That sounds disgusting. Look at at this woman in her hair and her makeup. (laughs) And you tell me if she makes good choices in her life. But I he think the answer is no. He doesn't drink. <laughs> he doesn't drink. So he just wants the tomato juice. And of course, she is like, oh, did your brother really do all that stuff? That must have been horrible for you and your mom. He's like, I don't want to talk about my brother. 
gives me nightmares. The same dude that just sawed a poor woman in half with a machete talking about his brother gives him nightmares. Karen, she shows up at Terry's door. She's knocking on the door. Of course, he's over at Andrea's. Although I think Terry may be a sexual, like I don't think he wants to have sex with anybody because Andrea, he's Andrea's a pretty attractive and she's all over him. He's like ignoring her anyways. So care. Nobody answers the door, which I'm wondering why isn't Maddie answering the door? She's home. Cause she's too busy making that fucking phone call or she's too busy scrubbing her oven. Yeah. The vacuum is too loud. Yeah. So she does. So she goes around to the back patio and she's knocking on the door. She's like, Terry, (laughs) come on, Terry, where are you? And all of a sudden Todd, comes out of the shadows and she thinks it's Terry. She's like, Oh, Terry, you know, I've come, I, I've been home for weeks and we have hardly done anything together and you never wrote me. And I just feel like we're growing apart and he's not saying anything. And she's like, Oh, you must be high. You're, you're always quiet when you're high. And she's like, I have a confession to make. I want you to make love to me. <laughs> do girls do this? Well, I mean, if this guy's is, sexually dormant as he appears because i think the only the only thing he lusts for is his mother louise lasser understandable um but but um i'm feeling like maybe this girl's just aching for it i mean she's been dating this guy for a minute because they're obviously a couple if she's been dating him and he treats her the same way he's treating uh the one with the teased hair and the the big eyeshadow uh, if, if he treats her like that then yeah i'd be like come on stick it in stick it in come on i'm aching for it like and but she handles it like a like a lady she's like make love to me please just make love to me it's classy i mean how else are you gonna put it it's the nicest way to put it so would you raw dog me is basically what she's saying yeah right on the doorstep here right on the back patio anyways todd is like i'm not terry i'm todd and she's like oh Terry's brother, you're home for Thanksgiving. He's like, you seem nice. I've never kissed a girl before. I'm okay. This is weird. To Todd me. has the mind of a child. No, no, but there is. Yeah, apparently, that's what we're trying to believe here, right? But I don't know. This line didn't. I don't. This line didn't sit well with me. It is like he's a little kid. Like he. I don't think he'd say that to her. Oh, I've never kissed a girl before. It. And she's like, Oh, well, you should really try it sometime. I gotta go. Bye. She takes off running. Yeah. The only thing I can take away from that is like maybe to a certain extent. I want to say like red herring because we know that his brother's the one doing the killing. But I wonder if they're trying to imply that both brothers are kind of like a little fucked up. Todd is not there. Todd is not there to, to get his dick wet. He is there to stop his brother, you know, and to let his mother know what really happened that night at the drive. The last thing he's thinking about is fucking some girl. So I really doubt it just, it just seemed odd. And they, the way he delivers the line, and you're right, it's very childlike and it just doesn't fit. He's not childlike. He's just very, he's like, like the doctor mentioned earlier, he's been catatonic for, for so long because of the a shock of yeah. what happened to him and for being accused of something he didn't do. Oh, just didn't sit right with me. I don't, again, I don't know. We're talking about blood rage. I agree with you. I do agree with, I, I, I had the exact same thought when I saw it. I was like, oh, ugh, that's making me like, not like this character. It seems kind of rapey, you know? So I feel, yeah. Me- but anyway, she she runs into Artie and Greg in their convertible and tells Artie and Greg that she just ran into Terry's crazy brother. Artie gets out. And I, Artie's kind of, I mean, Artie's the dorkier one, but he's even kind of a, you know, cute guy. I like oh, him. You know, and he's, uh, maybe I like per- him for a few reasons. I also like the fact that he and 
he and Karen are like friends, but it's not sexual. There's just like it's like a consensual, just like friendship, and they, he's very respectful of her. Um, I like his character a lot, and more and more as the movie progresses. And I like, yeah, his personality is very charming. Uh, he doesn't seem to be all about sex like the Greg is. Yeah, I agree. But he gets out of the car with a baseball bat and runs and tries to find Todd, but has no luck. Uh, back at her apartment, Andrea is coming on to Terry. And this is like, he is totally not interested. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, apparently nothing. And then this is when fucking Julie and her fucking teased bangs, foot, foot, foot high, tall teased bangs comes in with her the higher the hair the closer with her comes in in with her date who i'm sorry the date this guy is he's bill 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 (laughs) yeah poor bill i call my notes call him pete budowidge because that's exactly who he looks like oh he does but she does have a very specific line where she says to the baby because there's a baby she says why is this fucking baby here it's it to to raise the stakes troy that's why the baby's there but she says to the baby she says i'm gonna get us a rich daddy so I'm pretty sure that Bill, aka Pete Buttigieg, is <laughs> is a rich, unattractive man that Julie is trying to use her sexual wiles to seduce. Oh, because because Julie is just so fucking <laughs> oh, hot. Well, just wait she? till she gets into this that old, red lingerie. Because the- <laughs> we're talking about fucking Louise Lasser looking haggard. Good grief! I, I I honestly had a note here, and I realized I was wrong. I thought Julie <laughs> was supposed to be. Was actually supposed to be um, the mother. The mother. I thought the mother, and I was like, I was like, this is weird. Like, what the fuck's going on? But then I realized that Julie is just another random character we've been introduced to with real big hair and a horrible taste in wardrobe, as we'll come to find out. Who wears red in a moment of seduction? That's tacky. And then she just she has a baby, and like she has to pay for a babysitter because Andrea's getting ready to leave, and she's like, that's ten dollars. And Julie's like, oh, oh, well, I guess I can see if I have it. And she's like looking at her date. And he's like, finally, he's like, oh, let me get it. So he pays for the, the $10 for Andrea to babysit this baby, which this baby can go to hell. There did not need to be a baby in this film. <laughs> but you know what, man? Why the fuck not? There's a moment later in the movie that involving the baby, and I can't wait to talk about it because I really I thought that that baby was going to die. And I was like, you know what? Why the fuck not? Doesn't happen. I'm just saying it now. It doesn't happen. But I wish. Continue. <laughs> so then we cut back. The group sees Terry coming out of the uh, the house with Andrea. They run over to him. Karen tells him, hey, I saw your brother. Um, and there's some banter where Greg says something really inappropriate to Terry about his whole family being crazy. And Terry like grabs him and is like, Dude, you, don't you fucking say that. Don't you fucking say that. And he's like, I'm going to go look for my brother. And Karen's like, you want me to go? And he's like, no. <laughs> so he storms off. We see a moment, uh, like a, a, a glimmering moment of Terry's anger and like what he's, what, you know, what's possible with him. Uh, but it's so brief that like nobody picks up on it. But um, everyone's pretty clueless for, for Terry being such a fucking asshole. Because he's consistently addicted to people all, throughout the whole course of this movie, in my opinion. People seem very clueless to his you know, bubbling and brewing insanity that's about to explode all over everyone's face. So they go, Andrew's like, well, let's go to my apartment. I have, st- I have stuff we can do. My mom's not there, blah, blah, blah. So they're like, okay. So they go to her apartment 
In the meantime, Maddie is still vacuuming. She's trying to vacuum under her bed. Like there's a scene of her literally trying to shove the entire vacuum cleaner under the bed. While drinking wine. (laughs) While drinking wine. As Terry comes in, scares the shit out of her. uh, And he's like, Todd's here. Todd's here. And she's like, what? Because the vacuum is so loud. (laughs) And she shuts out the vacuum. He's like, Todd's here. Karen saw him. And she's like, Oh my God, call Brad. So she calls Brad. Of course, there's no answer. So then the logical thing, instead of calling the police or anybody, the logical thing is to tell Terry to go look for him. While she calls Brad for the rest of the fucking And she tells Terry he better put on his blue sweater because it's cold. At least she's thoughtful. As he's leaving. Uh, Cut to poor Todd finding the doctor in the woods cut in half. And he, like, tries to put her back together. That's <laughs> <laughs> very weird. I mean, he's mourning her death, but then he, like, grabs her legs and, like, he, like, he, like, brick. I guess, like, out of, like, respect for her, he, like, tries to, like, you know, bring them back to her torso. And then he just, like, mourns her. It's a sad moment. She looks horrible, the poor woman. She's, I mean, she's been cut in half, but, like, She's pale as a ghost. Yeah, and he's like, I feel bad for him. He's like, you're the only one that believed me. Why couldn't you have done something? And then we get this goddamn little girl coming looking for her cat, Tinker. 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 If there's one person I wanted to die (laughs) over the course of this movie, it was this fucking child. Listen, I know it's taboo to kill a child. Almost as taboo as killing a baby. Um, well, probably more taboo than killing a baby, let's be real. But um, this bitch, first of all, I mean, I was like, okay, well, this scene is over and done quickly. L- hopefully we never have to see her or hear her voice again. Unfortunately, that's not the case. But, um, you know, he, Terry, or Todd, being the kind, thoughtful person he is, he is like, he goes up to her and he's like, you need to leave. There's a bad person in the woods. And she's like, okay. Like, like, this child is just a pain in the ass looking for that fucking cat. Luckily, he avoids a life of drama for this child by persuading her to walk away from the, the woman who's been split in half. So the kid does not get to react to it. I was really hoping. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wanted a little bitch to see this. But he does tell her. He's like. Don't open the door for anybody, no matter what they say. She's like, okay. And she goes home. Uh, the, at Andrea's apartment, the guys are playing these video games. And we get a scene of Andrea teaching Karen how to drink tequila. So they're doing shots. But they're they're chasing it with lemons. And I'm like, Ugh, it's supposed to be limes, Andrea. You frizzy-haired bitch. Everyone knows that. But they're using lemons. I don't know. I caught that. So uh, someone on set forgot to get limes. <laughs> Apparently, like we'll just use lemons. Lemons and tequila. Um, while this is happening, while they're like having bonding moments, you know, all the friends, Julie is apparently attempting to seduce poor Bill. And this man, like you would think that this man has never in his life had a woman express interest. And you know what? Looking at him, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but it does make sense. He is not the most attractive man in the world, but he has no fucking idea what's going on. 
as Julie like seductively slinks into the into her bedroom. I'm going to slip into something more comfortable. Like she's she's <laughs> such a fucking whore, and this poor guy. Like how did he how did he get dragged into this scenario? What happens to him is so unfair. Because if 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 Terry's issue is killing people because of sexual scenarios because that seems to be the theme he kills people when sex is involved well i assure you bill ain't having a lot of sex and i'm guessing that if julie's popping out trying to seduce him in that red lingerie he'd probably shit himself and book the fuck out of there because he has no idea what to do with a woman that baby this this baby can't be older than what six months old so this this woman just popped out a baby and is trying to sleep around with guys to get a rich father for this fucking baby that cries the whole movie the doorbell rings and he looks out the people and he's like oh it's that kid that just left here and he's like she's like well answer it and see what he wants so he opens the door and of course it's terry standing there with this big old shit grin on his face and he's like hello and then it cuts back to it cut it cuts like this a few times at this point i've got to say that right now I've, you know, they they cut away from the doctor's kill. They've cut away a couple of times now. And at this point, I was starting to get annoyed with it. Luckily, there's a few kills coming up that make up for it. But I was like, are you really going to just keep doing this to me? You're not going to give me any of these actual murders. It's always just reveals. It's kind of pissing me off, but it's, it is what but it is. But she comes out in this hideous, I guess it's supposed <laughs> to be sexy, but it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. This red thing. Oh, it's disgusting. Bill's not there. And, but she hears like a knock on the door and she goes to look out the peak hole and she's like, oh, Bill, what are you doing out there? And she opens the door and his, his decapitated head is hanging what from a it's like a, it's like a TV. It's like a fucking like extension cord or something. Yeah, it, it's nonsensical. I'm going to be honest right now. When this moment happened, I was like, I was kind of like, ooh. And I was like, oh, like, like my first reaction was like, that's cool. And then I like really looked at it and I was like, oh, that head is very like unconvincing. And th- however they supported this head with like these cords, it just to me, I would think the weight of that it head just, just topple over fallen and off. drop yeah, off. Yeah. It makes no sense. But I mean, what the fuck ever. Again, like everything else in this movie, it makes no sense. Yes, his poor head. It's a pretty... Actually, it's a pretty realistic-looking decapitated head for an all intents and purposes. I mean, I've seen some pretty lousy decapitated heads in movies. This one actually looks pretty good, as nonsensical as it is hanging by a small wire. So she runs, of course, She and as she's running out of the house, the baby starts crying. So she's like, oh, baby. So she runs to get the baby. I would have just left the baby there. I'm sorry. Does that make me? I would have just booked out of there. Uh, yeah, me too. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Not only does she stop to get the baby, she stops to put a house coat on, too. Uh, As her boyfriend's decapitated head is hanging right outside the door, she she finds the time to open the closet and put on a house coat, because God forbid she run out in this nightie she put on. And of course, Terry comes up right behind her and grabs her, and it cuts he he casually assists her in putting her coat on, and that's how she like she turns around as he's like as he's pulling her sleeve up her shoulder, and she's like oh, ah, and then it cuts away. It's so weird, but I kind of liked it. So Todd not only knows exactly where his old apartment complex is, he obviously knows exactly what apartment he lived in, um, even though he hasn't been here for what ten years. He was a kid. I don't know if I would remember, but he does. So he, because he goes into his apartment, he gets in. 
He's looking around his old bedroom. He's like recognizing all of this stuff. He like picks up a baseball glove, looking at it. Um, in the meantime, Maddie's drunk ass is stumbling down the hallway. And she's like, Terry. And then she just collapses in a drunken heap. Yeah. Maddie is never not drinking over the course of this film. Let us be clear. The woman is in a perpetual state of drunk over the whole course of the movie. Well, he he gets her. He carries her um, into her bed, puts her in the bed. And she comes to and, and she sees him. And she thinks it's Terry, right? She's like, Terry, where have you been? Have they found Todd? And he's like, no. And then she's like, come give mommy a kiss. And I'm wondering, bitch, you were just at the mental hospital not too long ago having a conversation with Todd, who is wearing the exact same clothes that he had on. Do you not know your own child? How do you not know? Yeah, how do you not know he's wearing the exact same clothes Todd had on when you visited him in the hospital uh, four hours ago? Are you? Th- she, I, I don't buy that she's that drunk, but we're just supposed to believe that she thinks this is Terry. Okay, and then the whole "give mommy a kiss." That's why I'm like, Ugh. that's why these kids are fucked up. Is because this? I bet you she, you know, in the midst of making out with all her boy toys, she was planting some kisses on her children as well. And that's why <laughs> Louise Lesser is, has such a fucked up offspring. That's my theory. That's just my theory. Yeah. Oof. Back at the uh, Andrea's apartment, Karen's playing the video game now with Greg because Andrea got, or she's playing the video game with Artie because Andrea got Greg to come and make out with her. So they're in the bedroom making out and Karen and Artie are having some fun, you know, banter back and forth as they play this video game. All of a sudden they hear a scream and they run into Andrea's room. And this is when we see Andrea on the bed laying there. And she, as they approach, she gets up and screams at them. And Greg comes out of the closet with a hatchet and Andrea has blood all over her face. Andrea doesn't just have blood all over her face, Troy. She has a full prosthetic like face of makeup. First of all, where did Andrea procure this very elaborate, prosthetic makeup and how did she apply it so quickly troy you and i have been on horror movies that's that shit takes hours to dry like let's i'm not hours but like literally putting a face of makeup on like that it takes 45 fucking minutes and this girl just slops it on there and and i mean we're talking a fake nose we're talking fake cheeks it's it's excessive well not only that but three minutes before we got a shot of them on the bed like literally almost fucking are you trying to tell me that a teenage horny teenage guy was gonna stop so she could put on her face and be like oh let's put on this makeup and scare the shit out of uh you know karen and what's his name no no and he jumps out of the closet with like a cut on his cheek a fake cut and a a hatchet and they're like oh my god we thought that terry's crazy brother got you and of course karen's like i'm going home so yeah they're like are you going to what's this this party are you going to the party and um Greg, uh, already asked Greg if he's going to this party and he's like, no, we're going to go play tennis. So him and Andrea go to play tennis. We do cut. And on a, that's an unexpected turn yeah, of events. It's I just odd have to say like that came out of fucking nowhere. Tennis at like what? 10 PM in a full and changing ensembles, by the way, Andrea is in a whole new outfit. Well, so is it. he in his knee high Nike socks. But do we do cut to the scene of Maddie on the bed screaming at the operator to redial the number? 
And she's like, operator, you gotta help me. It's an emergency. This is an emergency, operator. Please, operator, please help me. I'm like, bitch, walk your lazy ass the two apartment buildings down. Why in the this why in this whole fucking movie has she spent the whole movie trying to call this dude? I'm sorry. If this was my boyfriend and this shit was going on, my ass would have been out of that apartment down to his office after the first fucking phone call that he didn't answer. I am not. And wh- why is she screaming at the opera? This was 1983. Did they really have operators back then? Okay, my thought on this scene, and this is very much in lieu of other scenes that have come prior. I feel like the director said, you know, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Louise Lasser, just, just do your own thing with it. I want to see what you do with this. And what she proceeded to do was just something that just didn't stop. It just kept going. The woman, I mean, she has a fucking panic attack. She's begging the operator. She's confiding in the operator. She's thanking the <laughs> operator for listening to her at one point. Like, it, it cuts back. Like, it continuously cuts back to her on the phone. And she's in various states of emotional distress, being consoled by the operator, ex- telling telling the operator about uh, her son, who is away in school, but he's not really in school. He's actually in a, a rehab. I, I sent him pie today. I sent it to him in a little box with string. Like, she gives a full recap of her week to this poor fucking operator who's just trying to do their goddamn job and call someone who's currently dead. So, I mean, there is a reason why they're not answering the phone. But listen, this is obviously a, a situation of an actor who is being indulged and just allowed to just fr- freeball it. That just just go on an improv rant, and it is extreme. It is excessive. But my my but Roger, my question is: I do remember like the days of the operator, but you you didn't call the operator because somebody wasn't answering their phone. Like, what is the operator going to do? So Maddie gives the operator the number, and the, they don't. He doesn't answer, and she's like, "Oh, he's got to be there. He's waiting but on she- the phone." <laughs> like she like loses her shit, and she's like, "Try the." Again. Okay. So, like, obviously, this operator's like, fuck. Like, he's like, God damn it, I got a crazy, a drunk crazy. And so then it cuts up back at one point, and she's like, Are you sure you tried the number right? Like, she, she, she's insisted on this phone number just being dialed incorrectly by the operator. And this poor fucker, I can't imagine who's on the other end of this line because, like, uh, listen, I've worked fo- phone services before. People like this will make or break your day. And I'm sure that that guy's on the verge of jumping off a roof after getting off the phone with fucking Mary Hartman. Because, yeah, I mean, she is just losing her shit. Yeah, well, we'll get back to it because, like you said, it cuts back many times. We cut back to we cut to Greg and Andrea are playing tennis now. Looking good. Greg's looking good in his knee height. Like I said, he has his little socks on, his little tennis shorts on. Thick thighs. Real thick thighs. And she's wearing some hideous workout thing that says physical on the front of it and some blue garment. And he keeps he like keeps hitting the ball over the fence. So she has to go get it. In the meantime, we see Terry is standing there watching them. And he Greg is like, oh, I had too much tequila. So he like literally lays on the tennis court and we see like the a POV of someone like approaching him slowly. But it's just Andrea. She gets on top of him and gives him a kiss. Uh, and now we get back to Maddie begging the operator that 
Oh, and this is when she's telling the operator about her, like every Thanksgiving she brings him pie in a little box with a plastic fork and napkin and string. An inconsistency with moments earlier in the, I mean, honestly, it, the, the, the doctor's story, remember we mentioned this earlier, what the doctor says, I mean, if it, 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 it doesn't make sense to me how, how this necessarily unfolds, but whatever. Well, the, the, this is the point when the operators had enough of her shit. Because you hear him say, what's the number you want? And she's like offended. She's like, what number do I want? And then she starts crying. Get me my boyfriend. Just get me my boyfriend. How is the operator going to bring your boyfriend to you, you dumb bitch? You cannot force someone to answer the phone. Ugh. This operator is not being getting paid enough. I would have hung up on her a long time yeah. ago. I would have hung up on her. Bitch, you got the number. Dial it yourself. Why are you calling me? He ain't answering for you. He ain't going to answer. Or as you said, walk over. <laughs> you live in the same apartment building. This I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. But continue. Okay, I'm going to continue because this is when we get some of Greg's ass. Okay. Uh, not enough of it. No, I was can, wanting more. I could watch a whole movie of that. Oh, because him and Andrea are going at it on the diving board. And he's on. They're both butt ass naked. He's on top of her. We get some nice ass. Thick. 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 T-H-I-C-C. Mm. I mean, we're talking, I could crack an egg on it. It looks so good. Unfortunately, it doesn't last long because Terry comes in and he's like, hey, stop that. And he immediately slashes uh, Greg across the throat who falls back. I, I was trying to pause it to get a flash of his penis. Is that bad? You get a flicker. You get a flicker of it. Uh, a mere second. I feel like second. Tatum and Scream. You know, if you pause it just right, you can see his penis. But I didn't. I saw like pubic hair, but not penis. Anyway, so he falls in and then he like slashes poor Andrew across the face. And he's like, you guys are naughty. And then you hear him like slash her one time off screen. And she's like, oh, this is another one of those kills where I was like, stop cutting away. Like, yeah, you see him go through the motion of like slicing the blade at Greg and you see him fall off the board, but you don't actually see it make real contact, really. Um, and then with Andrea, like you get nothing. You get like a slice across the cheek, but it's an awkward edit. It, it doesn't really look that great. But I was really hoping for like something really brutal at this point because earlier we had these really brutal kills, and the last few have just been cutaways or just kind of disappointing. So um, I was bummed. I was really thinking these two would get a gnarly fucking kill because they're like, if he's so affected by sexuality, well, these two. Are banging on a diving board. Like, what? what's more sexual than that? Yeah, they're butt-ass naked going at it. Uh, now Maddie is on the phone again, breaking down, because uh, she's calling uh, Brad herself. He's not answering, and she starts having this huge panic breakdown where she's like, please don't do this to me. Please don't leave me alone here. This woman has been on the phone long enough for a tennis match, a session of lovemaking, and a double, a double ho- homicide. She could have been so much more productive. She could have been at his apartment. She could have been there. She would have solved so many issues for herself. Yes, if she would have went out there earlier and saw his dead body, she could have called the fucking police like she should have done immediately when she found out her fucking son was supposed to be coming to this apartment complex. But no, she doesn't. Bad parenting. Bad parenting. She doesn't. She's breaking down. Art and Artie and Karen are now walking on the trail, 
And she stops at the, on the bridge and she's asking Artie, hey, what's going on with Terry? Because, you know, he's not interested. He doesn't seem like he's interested anymore. You're we're, we're we're best friends. Will you do me a favor and ask Terry what's going on? He's like, yeah, doll, anything for you. And this is when Terry reaches up and grabs her foot from under the bridge and scares her. You know, he's like, oh, it's just me. It's just me. Artie's like, well, I'm going to go to this party. So he goes to get in his car and Todd is in the back seat with a gun that he got from the dead doctor who had it, but didn't use it the one moment. But it's a different, it's a different gun. Well, where did he get it? That big black. There's, there was a, doesn't somebody have a silver gun at one point? Was it, was it yeah, Brad? But he, how did I he, did, he hasn't found Brad's body. I know, but it definitely is. He has a I silver think, gun. I think that, I think that this is a, um, continu- it's a continuity yeah. one because it was the, he picked, if you remember yeah. when he finds her body, he finds, he sees the gun. So it's supposed to be the gun the doctor had, whether it's the same one. Yes. But also keep in mind with the doctor, she says when Jackie uh, uh, pins him up against the door, she's like, it's not a real gun. It's a tranquilizer gun. So the black gun that, that Jackie had was like that long barrel shafted gun that was a trank gun. The gun he has when he takes. It's a little silver silver pistol. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where he got it then. Who knows? Uh, Carrie or Terry, Carrie, Karen, whatever the fuck her name, Terry and Karen are making out now. Finally, he's showing some interest because he's like, let's go back to my apartment. I want to make love to you. So apparently killing has gotten them all horny. So they're back at his apartment making out. And in the meantime, uh, Todd has basically kidnapped Artie with the gun and told him he's going to take him to where Todd is at. Okay. So Todd and uh, Karen are making out Todd actually sh- or Terry and Karen are making out Todd shows up to the apartment with the gun points it at Terry and Terry's like what are you gonna do shoot me and of course Todd runs away Todd's the biggest pussy in the world uh, he runs away he doesn't really do anything through this whole movie he runs away uh, Artie and Terry chase after him this is when Artie finds this like supply of weapons laying on the trail he's like hey uh, Terry come look at this and it's like all of these sharp utensils, the machetes there with blood all over it. And he picks up, Terry picks up this barbecue fork and Artie's like, look at this machete. And, and he, Terry's like, yeah, yeah, Artie, that's not cranberry sauce. Oh, look, I see him. And Artie's like, where, where? And so as Artie turns his head to look, Terry shoves the barbecue fork into his throat. I was honestly thinking, this being my first time viewing this film, I was really thinking that Artie was going to make it because he was trying to become such like a likable uh, character who really had Karen's best interest in mind, I feel. I was bummed when he died. I actually felt something when he died. And this is a kind of a cool kill. I mean, you see it go into his throat. So, like, I'll take it. I mean, you know, it's a fucking hot dog fork being a meat spear going into his neck. It's better than nothing compared to some of these other cutaways we've had earlier. Um, And this does launch into a barrage of cranberry sauce line delivery. Uh, We get it about three times in a row about it not being cranberry sauce. It's certainly not cranberry sauce. How many times does he need to clarify that it is not cranberry sauce? Oh, he says that about five more times. Poor Karen now. She was about ready to get some dick, but got interrupted. So she comes out looking for everyone and she runs into Terry and he has the machete covered with blood. And she's like, Terry, what happened? What happened to you? What's that thing in your hand? He's like, oh, it's Todd's. I found it. He's killing everybody. 
And then there's just this awkwardness. It's like, this was really awkwardly executed in my opinion, where he's like, oh, hey, Karen, by the way, and he raises the machete. I love you and swings it awkwardly at her. And she just screams and takes off running. Just really awkward. That's, I mean, just, I said awkward like five times in a row, but it's awkward. Oh, it is. This sequence, having been on a few indie films that have started to fall apart at the seams towards the end of production, this sequence very much hit home for me as a moment where everybody on set has really lost their driver motivation to be there and are just kind of going through the motions and just hitting the basic beats without putting any effort or, you know, artistry to the execution. Um, because like, it's just like a single shot and he like raises this machete up and you see him like hesitate long enough for her to turn and run. And then he like slowly Uh swings it at her. And I was like, wow, that could have been done so much better in so many different ways. They really just half-assed this moment, didn't they? So yeah, this is, this whole, this whole sequence is really just lackluster, um, uh, up until when she, you know, she runs off and then there's finally this kind of chase sequence that happens and it's okay. It's not, I mean... This whole moment with her is very confusing because she like locks herself in um in a closet coming up. You know, she's running door to door trying to get into these different apartments and they're all locked. So she like locks herself in like a shed room, a storage room. And he comes and he like gets to the door and he just doesn't really try to get into that room. Like out of all the other places, like why would you? There's a door right there. Why wouldn't you just check? But so he just kind of. Well, he knows. He knows she's in there, but what he does is he wants to yeah. kind of fuck with her. So he goes back and he gets Artie's th- body. Th- that's, and that's the inconsistency to me is how did he yeah. transport that body? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Because she did not. And how did she stay? She doesn't. She did not stay in the closet. No, exa- that yeah, exactly. I mean, this bitch ran like this. She, she when she ran away from him, they were far away from where he killed Artie already. So she runs farther into these into the apartment complexes. Yeah, she bangs on the patio door. No one answers. So she hides in their storage room. And yeah, he comes and he's about ready to open the door and he stops and kind of grins and, and turns around. But then it, it cuts to uh, it cuts back to Marty or Maddie, you know, um, trying to call Brad one more time and actually someone answers and she's like, Oh, thank God. Thank God you answered. I've been calling you all night. And he's like, uh, ma'am, I think you have the wrong number. Did you dial blah, 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 blah. And he's like, she's like, Oh no, it's the wrong number. I dialed the wrong number. And then it cuts back to her still in this closet. And then she sees, she backs up and she sees Jackie's dead body is like hanging behind her. And she burst out of it. And this is when Terry's sitting there with Arnie's body on his lap. And he's like moving him around like a puppet. And she's like, why are you doing this? And he just like laughs at her. She runs. And whose apartment does she go to? That she starts banging on the door. That little bitches. That fucking demon child. Who refuses to let her in. Because she's like, the guy told me not to let anybody in. And Karen's like, please let me in. He's going to hurt me. And she says, you're going to hurt my kitty. Bitch, the last thing anybody in this movie is concerned about is your fucking kitty. Even if it was somebody (laughs) who was trying to kill you, they'd be trying to kill you, not your fucking kitty. So your kitty, your kitty's fine. (laughs) But I mean, smart child for not letting somebody in, I suppose. I mean, like, I guess if I was told that there's a murderer on the premises, 
I I would be like, sorry, good luck. I wish you the best. On to the next door, please. Um, but this child, there's just something about her delivery that makes me want to bitch slap her. Um, and her <laughs> kitty. Her kitty. But she did. But she. How is this bitch going to hurt her kitty? She didn't find the kitty, did she? The kitty's lost. I'm a, I'm assuming at this point the cat has returned home because you know how cats are. They're pieces of shit. They'll go away and then they'll come back and you've been panicking and they're fine and they're just cute so now julie or karen runs into julie's apartment and the baby's crying and this is when julie's trying to get god forbid this actress she's trying to give a good performance but it's like really awkward she's like doing this shit with her hands she's like oh i need help i need help it's like are you there i need help like swinging her hands wildly i'm like oh come on come on come on karen you were doing you were doing pretty good up until this point, point. Uh, and then this fucking baby is still crying, and she's like, "I can hear your baby crying." So she runs to the baby's crib, and the baby's in the crib, and then she like runs to this back room. She's like, "Where are you at? I, you need to help me." And of course, somehow Terry's gotten in this apartment before she did, and he pulls the the machete. He has stabbed the machete through Julie, and he pulls it out of her. And there's like this shot of it coming out of her chest. That's pretty great. Pretty actually impressive. But it's like, it doesn't make sense with how other thing, how everything played out. You know, he's had the machete in his hands. So unless he's, pro- he somehow killed her with no other wounds or anything to show. Um, and then just stabbed it back into her for effect for the grand reveal when Karen comes into the room. Um, I, I don't understand exactly how Julie actually died. You, you get what I mean? Like, she's just sitting there. No, no bruising, no blood, nothing other than this wound in her chest, which is, I'm guessing, has to be a fresh wound. Maybe he just left her tied up there, waited for somebody to witness the murder. I don't know. Let's also just acknowledge that that baby is now an orphan. That baby, I'm assuming, that baby now has no parents. So that's sad. Uh, and so Karen has to step up to the fucking plate for the rest of the movie, got for the fucking goddamn baby that she didn't sign up for. I'm sure. No, she grabs. I, see, okay, this makes me a horrible person. I would have just left the baby there. Um, but she grabs the baby and she tries to run out, and Todd appears at the patio door, so she can't run out there, which is weird because she, by not, this time she knows that Terry's the killer. So why is she scared of Todd now? But anyways, she turns around. Todd's there. So she runs into the bedroom and she like ducks behind a dresser to call the police. And uh, Terry shows up with the machete, gets in front of her and he's like, hi, Karen, who are you calling? And she like hits him in the nuts with the phone, which at least she did have that good sense to do. At least she did something at this yeah. point because she's not really done a lot yet. No, but she grabs the baby. Again, leave the fucking baby there. Not yet. Now the baby's heavily involved. Like Ugh. you can't pick up the baby now and just choose to leave it at some point. Like you've fully committed to saving the baby. So Jesus Christ, we now have a, a baby for the rest of the movie. A baby that's screaming its fucking head off the whole movie. You're trying to run and hide from a killer. To me, the last thing I'd want in my hands is a fucking baby screaming when I'm trying to hide from a fucking killer. It's counterproductive. And like the baby's mother is now deceased. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but there's not really anyone left to to care. So leave the baby. Worry about yourself. Whatever happens, happens. It's not your no blood on your hands, in my opinion. No, back at the apartment, Maddie finds she's cleaning. She finds Terry's bloody striped shirt from earlier in the trash can. 
So he didn't hide this very well. He just threw it in the kitchen trash can, like a shirt that was covered in blood of his victims. You would think he would dispose of it a little bit better, but no, he just puts it in. The... So he finds it. She finds it. Okay. That right there should be a clue, right? She knows Terry had the shirt on, not Todd, but it's not, it's not a clue to her. She finally now runs to Brad's office. Finally, an hour and 30 minutes later, she runs to Brad's office. She, and she, he's sitting at his desk and she approaches him. She's like, Oh Brad, thank God. I've been trying to call you all night. And she gets up to him. She realizes he's not answering. So she approaches and like slowly touches his shoulder, which causes his hand to fall away from his head and his head to literally fall on the desk and split in half. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. Like you see, you see the innards of his brains. It's it was unexpected up to this point. Cause like I said, there have been a few kills that were leaving a little bit to be desired. You get this back to this poor fucker who first he lost his hand and it was still moving around. And now we see the inside of his head. Like this guy just got the worst of it. Um, I do have to point out that I am confused. Maddie enters the room. Okay. She's banging on the glass for a minute before she even realizes the door's open. She opens the door, she steps inside, and she's, like, talking to him, like, oh, God, I've been trying to call you all night. And, like, he's not responding. How is it that, in her moment of panic, Maddie does not acknowledge that this room is a crime scene? Like, it, it, there is blood all around her. I'm guessing maybe there's just not blood on the back of the man who's been murdered and just but there's blood all over the walls right. so unless she has no peripheral vision whatsoever like a horse with the blinders on uh, you would think that this woman would have the ability to you know notice that there is gore painting the walls around her it, it it doesn't make any sense to me and like i think maybe they thought like oh in the shot it's not going to matter but like listen i'm not fucking stupid if i'm if the man bleeds that much it's not going to be only restricted to the front of his face it's obviously everywhere how does she not notice it uh but then she, karen now we cut back to karen karen runs into the pool room with the screaming baby sitting there in right, wide open, wide open, no, not even trying to hide. The baby's screaming its fucking head off. Troy, I honestly thought at this point, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, but I just no, you're to, good. I literally thought she sits down at the pool to comfort the baby. Like she stops, which is a horrible idea. I was in my mind, I was like, tell me she's just going to drown that baby. Like, I was like, because that's the best, I think that's the best decision right now. Or I thought she was going to like Moses it, put it in like a small basket and let it just float to the middle of the pool. Float in the middle because, of the pool. Like, I, like, she literally starts to motion it down towards the water. I'm like, that girl's seriously considering drowning this baby just so she doesn't have to deal with it. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. She's still got the baby, but... Uh, if only that would have made the movie that much more entertaining. Well, I love the fact that Terry comes in, he finds them easily and she turns around and acts like she's so surprised that he was able to find her. It's like, bitch, you're sitting wide open with a screaming baby. Well, he gets up on the, the diving board. Where is everybody, <laughs> where is everybody else that lives in this apartment complex? Dead. Ha- Havoc <laughs> has been, no, Havoc has been wreaked all night. 
They're screaming people getting chopped in half. They're screaming babies. They're screaming. But nobody has come out to try to help. No, no one. Except uh, the only person that is apparently left is, uh, I'm guessing, this child who lives alone with her cat. <laughs> and she wants nothing to do with it. So, but <laughs> You're going to hurt my kitty. But I appreciate that um, Terry, like, he's been playing this cat and mouse with her for a minute so he gets up on the diving board while she's trying to comfort this unruly child and he starts like, <laughs> jumping on it and she finally hears him and she turns to him and her response is just like oh god like, she's like, it's not that she's surprised she's just like you again yeah. fucking a like she's exhausted she's, she's like put out Ugh, i lost it uh, i thought it was hilarious it's like when it's like when someone shows up at your house that you're like you know expecting and you don't want them they're like oh god. and he's such a dick about it he's like i'm still here like and then she runs into the sauna. Okay, I love this too. I just had to get it. She puts the baby in this cupboard. Screaming its fucking head off. You know, she's she's secretly hoping. She's like, God, I hope he just, I hope he's lured to the baby and he just kills it so I don't have to do the dirty work. But, <laughs> but it stops crying immediately. That's what's he funny. He finds something like, calming about being locked away in that tiny cupboard. Because she puts it in the cupboard and then she goes to hide in the, sauna but the dead bodies of andrea and gregor and they're all displayed how did he drag the oh well i guess it's not that hard i guess he but he put the bodies in the sauna he dra- this guy this kid's pretty strong yeah, based off how quickly I mean, he dragged uh, artie's body from point Terry a to is, point b he looks kind of you know he, he he looks pretty slim and slender but apparently he's strong enough to drag these bodies all over this apartment complex so she hides in the bathroom stall instead conveniently conveniently the baby stops crying so when terry comes into this bathroom he's he doesn't hear the baby he can't hear anything he opens the sauna and sees the two bodies and he's like oh you two oh i'm sorry to interrupt so terry does have sort of a slight they, they were trying to give him like a comedic edge it doesn't really work because it's kind of shoehorned in there in certain points it's never like consistent yeah, and he's never portrayed as crazy enough throughout the course of the whole movie until, like, finally towards the end, you're like, oh, he's crazy, he's killing people. Um, but, like, you haven't gotten enough of it for it really to be, like, a, a major element of his presence in the film. So, next scene, cut back to Maddie. She, now, this is why this can't, the gun that Todd had cannot be the gun that Brad had because Maddie gets the gun that Brad had. It's laying on his desk. She, she picks it up and she's like, I'm, I'm going to make everything all right. And then she proceeds to rest her head okay, <laughs> on this man's body, but his head is completely split open. His brains are splattered on the desk. And she's, she's fine with it. She's, But she's apparently also at the... Like, she's lost it enough at this point that I guess she just don't give a fuck. Uh, Louise Lasser is out for blood. So Karen comes out of the stall now. And she thinks everything's... Because he conveniently didn't look in the stall. No, he was peeing in it, but he didn't look in the stall. He was peeing next to her at the urinal, but he didn't look in the stall. So he comes out and... Uh, she comes out and then he, the bathroom's empty and all of a sudden he jumps out of the stall next to her. And again, so awkward. This dude has butchered an entire apartment complex, but it, when it comes to killing this broad that's standing right in front of him, his aim sucks because he swings. She's right in front of him and he misses. Yeah. And actually, if you like look, and I don't know if you noticed this, I may be wrong, but I almost, I think like when he swings, he hits something else and you see a piece of like, the blade like fly up. I saw that. I think it's like the handle of the stall. 
like it's a little round handle the stall he hits that but i'm like dude your aim has been perfect all fucking night and now when this girl is six inches in front of you you can't hit her for anything he managed to slice an entire woman in half <laughs> he 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 charged a woman and severed her body. Yet he can't even manage to slice this poor girl. Well, he does get her on the arm though. He does he does like hit her shoulder. You do see like a little cut on her shoulder, but again, like comparatively speaking to the violence that he has wreaked upon this apartment complex, for some reason this girl's the one that gets away. Well, yeah, she runs back out to the pool. Todd shows up now with this gun that we still don't know where it came from. Uh, so Terry walks out, he aims the gun, but of course he's not, he doesn't fire. He does not fire. And so even Karen's like done with his bullshit. She grabs the gun and she's like, I'll kill you. And he comes up to her and he, she pulls the trigger. Nothing happens. It's not loaded. So he grabs her and like slams her against the wall. He goes to Terry, gives Terry the bloody machete and smears blood on his face, hearkening back to the opening scene. And he's like, Todd loses his shit now. He's like, no. And like attacks him and they scuffle. They fall into the pool and are fighting in the pool. Todd is kind of incapacitated. He's like floating there. Like Terry's knocked him out. And at the same time, Terry gets out of the pool. Who shows up? Mama Maddie. <sighs> Listen, Maddie just saunters into this room as chaos is ensuing in her white robe her hair damp and slicked back, and she just she's just standing there overseeing things uh, with a, a scowl on her face that could send shivers down your spine. But she just stands there and she watches it all unfold. And then I found this really uh, very awkward because as the scene like you know unfolds, it's very clear that that Todd is being played by the actual actor. So Terry is being played by a body double. And because of that, they the way that it's shown, like you can't see any of Todd's reactions. Why they didn't choose to go and get a perspective on the other side of the pool of Todd for the initial sh- like shot to the torso is really confusing to me. Because it makes for this very awkward sequence where he's delivering these lines and all of a sudden you just see Maddie from a distance like raise her gun and shoot for the first time. Um, and, like, he, like, gets shot in the gut. And he, she does. She shoots her son. She shoots him. And, it, it, but it's all, like, he's responding from behind. Like, we're seeing him from behind. So his responses are all, you know, his back point of view. And it, it makes for a very, like, lackluster finale. Yeah, because she, um, she yeah, he, she, Terry stands up and he's like, Mom, and she shoots him. And you don't, yeah, you don't see any of it. And then she, he's like, oh, like leaning over. He's like, mom. And she shoots him again in the face. But again, you don't see it. And like the actor is covering his face and you see blood, but you never see him because it's a different actor. It's a body double. It does cut to a, it does cut to a front shot of him looking up though, holding his face. Yeah. But it's like two shots. Yeah. She shoots him a bunch more times and she, she looks like, ugh. And she hits him every time. The look on her face. (laughs) she's like she's done so she shoots him a bunch of times he falls into the water and is dead in the meantime she runs over to comfort todd and she is like again more incestuous undertones where she's like 
oh, we all we only need each other. I only want you in my life. That's all I need is you in my life, baby. I love you so much, baby. We just need each other. We don't need anybody else. Give mommy a kiss. I'm here. I'm here. It's just going to be me, me and you, Terry. Yes, this un- oh, yes. This unusually tender moment between mother and child, a little too tender, if you ask me, unravels. When you find out this whole time she thought that she was killing Todd. And Todd looks up at her with a look of pure offense and says, I'm Todd! (laughs) And, well, shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan because the mother's like, what? No, and she pushes him away. And he he starts like, he freaks out. He goes against the one. He's like, I'm Todd. I'm Todd. And she's laying there going, no, no. And then she starts doing it. So they're doing it in sync. They're both screaming, I'm Todd. She's screaming it. He's screaming it. Fucking Karen doesn't know what to do. She's standing there with that fucking baby just staring at this scene in front of her because she went and got the baby. I'm Todd. Finally, fucking poor Maddie puts gets the gun and puts it to her head. I'm Todd. And then you just hear the gun flies, blood flies everywhere. The bitch shot herself in the head to kill herself. Ending it on a suicide. How poetic. Yeah. How very poetic. But honestly, yeah, like, first of all, poor fucking Todd. I mean, that, as though he hasn't been through enough shit, that fucker is scarred for life. I mean, even more so. You know who else is scarred for life? That fucking baby. And, and poor Karen. Like, I mean, God, she, all she thought was she was, you know, dating a normal guy. And lo and behold, he's a m- murderer. Well, she thought she was getting some dick. She thought she was getting some dick. He's someone who not only is, he, he faked his murder with his twin brother. Like, how specific is that? And then he per- proceeded to be uh, killing everybody in her life. She, like, everyone's dead. All of her friends are dead. I mean, this girl was not signed up for this. Now she's got a baby. She's got to pay for that baby's therapy. Ugh. Poor Karen. If anyone loses out here, it's Karen. I mean, fuck Maddie. Maddie made a lot of bad choices. Ugh, Maddie. Well, yeah, because her reaction after Maddie shoots herself is to basically she runs out of there with the baby. Uh, And then basically the film ends on a shot of Todd looking at his dead mother and we hear sirens in the background getting closer and closer and the movie ends. So we are left to wonder what Todd's fate is. Did, are people going to think he did this again? Or is there enough like forensic evidence, I would hope, that would prove that he didn't? I'm sure there's plenty of evidence. I mean, I would hope that Karen would be like, listen, this was a... Well, uh, the naked confused. girl didn't do it at the beginning. What the fuck we think Karen's going to do? Yeah, but the naked girl's still running. Running, running. She, to this day, she's running. Yeah, we but can assume. Her. I'm going to I'm gonna think that the, the, the ending after the credits roll is happy, that Karen did do the right thing, was like, no, Todd is innocent. Terry did it. Let him go. Let him lay, leave a normal life. And I feel like Karen now is going to be burdened by this baby the rest of her life that she didn't sign up for. Um, But yeah, I mean, and poor Maddie. I mean, this mother had to kill herself because she killed the right child. Who she, who she actually still favored, even despite realizing that he was... Because, she, oh, I know. She knew he was the killer. Come on. She found I mean, his bloody... She found his bloody shirt. She could clearly see the clothes they were wearing. Like Todd has had the same outfit on. Yeah. 
This all comes down to that incestual theme, like, you know, the Oedipus complex theme that we mentioned that is alluded to, but not really, like, they don't delve into it enough to really make the ending pay off properly. If there would have been a little more of that, I think, uh, explored, it would have really made a lot more sense with why the character, why the character of um, Terry did what he did. But um, it, it, because they don't really dive into it that much, it just makes for a very confusing film with a very dramatic ending that just kicks it up 10 more notches than I expected, to be honest. Like, I mean, Maddie committing suicide in front of that pool with that baby was not where I... When I started watching this movie, I did not think it would go there. But now after watching it multiple times, and like I said, it feels like a soap opera. It does. I mean, this, this movie feels like I'm watching a an unusually violent soap opera. A, a gory it's soap opera. a very opera. gory soap I, opera. I get that. I get that. You know, is it the best film? No. I feel like there, for me, a lot of nostalgia. Like I talk about when we when we review 80s slasher films, I feel like a lot of nostalgia around this film. This is a film that I do find myself revisiting usually around November time because, again, it's one of the few Thanksgiving slasher flicks. Uh, I feel like the effects make it a standout film the acting uneven for the most part but still not you know i feel like the acting just adds a specific like charm to the film because the characters are so are portrayed so like polar opposite of what i think needed to be like she needed to be reined in like everyone needed to be on the same page to make the film mesh but i with that said i still really find myself enjoying this film quite a bit. There's just some, there's just some goofy charm to it that I find it endearing. This is like the mommy dearest of horror movies. I would say. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it really, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see that. It's like a campy, it's got a camp. Yeah. It it reminds me. I mean, when you would bring that up, it's very similar to like a uh, butcher baker nightmare maker with the obsessed aunt. You know, and that whole incestuous theme that runs through that movie. And you have two female performances, lead performances that are unhinged and just so over the top compared to the rest of the cast. Um, But I really, I I have to say, I really, I really enjoy this film. It's one that I will continue to revisit. You know, watching it this time around, I did notice a lot of little things that I just never noticed before. So not that I'm not talking about like layered things, but just little things I picked up on. But it's a fun film. I think it's one you just put on, you sit back with your glass of wine, fold to the brim and just watch and enjoy. It's not going to challenge your thinking any. It's pretty straightforward. You're not guessing who the killer is. It's it's all laid out for you. You just follow along for a bloody gory. This isn't cranberry sauce. Good time. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in saying like this is a very it's a very fun movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's a good movie. Um, I I not knowing what to expect when I, you know, when I started watching it the first time through, knowing what a fan base it has, I think I was expecting something different. Uh, like, I've been formed of, I've been told of the scale of her performance, but that's like really all I knew about it. I didn't know just how awkward and inconsistent the storyline was at times. Um, I feel there's not one decision made by a character over the course of this movie that seems natural or like human or reasonable, like I'm saying, like major decisions that are made. Um, it, it's it, it's very convoluted at times. Um, it wasn't until I watched it through the second time that I, you know, 
realizing what it was. I rewatched it with an, an adjusted perspective and it made it for a way more enjoyable experience. And now knowing that, knowing exactly what Blood Rage is, um, I can definitely appreciate it for what it is and I can completely understand why it's a seasonal favorite. Um, it's a fucking cuckoo bananas. I mean, this movie, is, it's bonkers. It's crazy, but it's, it's very fun. There's some real big performances, which, you know, I'm a fan of. And I think that oftentimes movies like this withhold the, they, they, or withstand the test of time because of that more so than some movies who are like, that are actually good movies. A lot of times it's these camp classics that go down in history for being what they are because of the, the entertainment value is just so wild. So yeah, I mean, this was a, definitely a fun watch. It was an absurd watch. My jaw hit the floor a few times. Um, and, and I appreciate it for that. And I will definitely watch it again just because of the enjoyment factor I took from it. Yeah. Well, that is, that's our Thanksgiving gift to you folks. We got to cover blood rage. You knew it was inevitable. This is only our, well, we're a year in last November. We did not cover blood rage. I, I thought, I think I brought it up, but we decided not to. Uh, so it was only a matter of time. So happy Thanksgiving folks. We covered blood rage. Uh, we're going to end this real quick as we are, gosh, we're over the two hour mark and we still want to tell you about our next episode, which will drop next week. We have two great episodes coming up in a row with some awesome guests. We're on next episode next week. We asked this, our guest, what film he wanted to cover and he threw out a few options. And one of the options really sort of attracted me because, you know, I, it was an interesting choice because it is an LGBTQ sort of themed film sort of like sleepaway camp which it might offend people to say this but when he mentioned this title i was like yes this is one i do want to cover so we're going to cover the 1982 video nasty it made the video nasties list unhinged okay if you have not seen this movie i implore you to please watch it before next week because this is a discussion that's going to get pretty deep because it has a very similar uh element to it as sleepaway camp Okay, and we are discussing this film with the one and only Jay Palmieri Jr., who is a uh, gay filmmaker himself, who has made several films, uh, including Play, Taste. Uh, he just finished a short film called Carve. Um, all of his films have a very heavy uh, gay, lesbian, transgender vibe that runs through them. So he will be a great guest to discuss this film with. Again, it's Unhinged, directed by Don Gronquist. Again, from 1982. Check it out, folks. If you've never seen it, it is one that you should probably check out. We're excited to discuss the film with Jay. So, oh yeah, I've I did not I knew not very little of Jay prior to um, your introducing me to him uh, via social media. But um, after adding him on social media and getting to see some of his work and um, he sent me the link for Carved, luckily, and, and um, I'm very impressed by what he's created. And he seems very knowledgeable of his material, so I think it's going to make for a very, very quality episode. I feel like we are going to get real deep with the material. Um, I love chatting with fellow queer, uh, queer filmmakers, and I think that he's... He clearly knows his his craft, so this is going to be a good episode for sure. Oh, We're really excited yeah. he, to have him. He is he's great. He's great. I actually had the actually chance to have dinner with him and actually talk to him in person about horror filmmaking. We sat there for a while and just kind of 
talked about our experiences as as filmmakers, indie filmmakers, and he is definitely very insightful. I was very, I'm not going to say surprised because I've been friends with him on social media, but you know, social media versus someone in person, I was very surprised by his insightfulness. And I thought I knew right away he would be a great guest. So it's, he's cute as a butt. Oh yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be fun. You'll see you'll see him in our promotional you know material. He's he is definitely a, a yeah. cutie and very talented. He got his last yeah. film Leia. He worked with the one and only Leslie Donaldson from uh, Happy Birthday to Me and Curtains. So he has worked with some pretty impressive people. So stay tuned next week. So we're gonna end it because we are. Oh my God, we're approaching two hours and ten minutes, Roger. So that was Blood Rage. Shocked? I'm not shocked. (laughs) I'm not shocked because Blood Rage deserves that amount of time. But yeah, next week. uh, Yeah, next week is Unhinged with Jay Palmieri Jr. Again, check out our um, Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. We got some good shit dropping. Oh my God. We, our next episode will drop this weekend. So if you want to check out our thoughts on Megan is missing, please, please, please join the Patreon. Yes. But folks, as always, we thank you for listening to us ramble for two hours on this lovely little eighties gem. And until next week with unhinged, we bid you adieu. We bid you adieu. Don't forget to leave those reviews. Yes. I love you for it. We do love you. We you see you get shout outs. We don't we don't ignore you. We 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 definitely appreciate our our fans that dig the show. So, yeah, keep them coming people. All right? Good night. Good night. <laughs>